Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks so much for joining me and my good friend, Betty Hovey, today. Um, Betty was telling me that today is the first day of hurricane season, and here in the great state of Florida, where we both live, we have our first storm out there brewing. Yep, yep. This morning on the news, they first said, well, to kick off hurricane season, where we have, you know, something they're watching, and it's it's on our side, it's on my side, on the southwest <gasps> side, and they said, there's only 20% chance of it doing anything, and within 20 minutes, they said, well, now it's a 50% chance of doing something, so you know how it goes, Christine, yeah. Um, yeah. but they they said probably tropical storm or depression they're they're not calling like you know all hands on deck or anything but i was just like seriously <laughs> like on day one <laughs> i think if it does turn into something we should pack up and go to pam vanderbilt's in ocala and we'll mm. just chill there until it's over with and oh yeah what we'll do is we'll call sharon oliver and have her send us some moonshine since it's National Moonshine Day. <laughs> and look, we've just settled all of the problems in what, 30 seconds? There you go. Damn, there you go. We're all ready. good. <laughs> oh my gosh. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, chapter 12 of the guidelines. Um, I know that you love skin just as much as I love skin. Yes. And um, it, a lot of students struggle with the guidelines. And that was the whole premise of this season was to say, don't, don't overthink it. It's pretty simple. Most of what the guidelines do are just give us, oh, Sharon's on. Look at that. Sharon, thank hey, you so Sharon. much, my dear. <laughs> so, See, I told you she got the moonshine. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And like I said, today's National Moonshine Day. So this is all working out pretty well, I'm, I'm going to say. So we wanted to just talk a little bit about um, pressure ulcers or non-pressure ulcers and just in a casual way so that everybody kind of understands what that guideline really means. It's not, it's not so difficult sometimes. I, I, said, I know and I, I say all the time that the guidelines read like stereo assembly instructions or furniture assembly instructions because it looks like it's written in two different languages and most of the time I don't even know. But um, <laughs> I think that they're designed to just kind of help us in sequencing more than anything, which came first, the chicken or the egg? What do you think? Yep. 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 Definitely. I, I think that um, uh, that's one of the foundations have in the guidelines in any of the classes that we teach with PMCC, with any kind of things like that, that we're teaching with new people. It's always like, you know, the guidelines, the guidelines, the guidelines, you know, so we, we always are pushing people back, even experienced people. You know, uh, especially with the transition to ICD-10 from nine, I know there's new people in now that don't know ICD-9, um, but you know, with the transition, you know, I know, don't you feel old when, when you think about that? And it's just, they're like, ICD-9, and I'm like, oh, but, um, Where's know, the letter in front of the, in front of that code? Well, that's wrong, <laughs> somebody messed up. <laughs> So I'm like, well, you know, remember the guidelines say, you know, so it's always, you know, that little reminder when you ever are looking at something, no matter what chapter it is, if you're looking at something and are kind of like, oh, I'm on the fence or, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, guidelines, you know, just, just Absolutely. go take a peek, 
you know, and see. And with a lot of the ICD-10 books now, if you're still using the books, I know, again, the younger people, um, you know, sometimes they don't even use the books. I have to have my books. But, um, you know, uh, they'll be right in the front of the chapter now instead of having to go all the way to the front. I like that. My my Optum one, it has them um, in every chapter. So when you get to the chapter, you can see them there instead of having to go back to the front. So that's kind of nice, too. AAPC did the same thing this year with their yep. ICD-10 book. They put them in the front of the chapter. And another thing I noticed in ICD-10, and again, it depends on the publisher, right? Yeah. The content is all the same, but sometimes publishers give you more. It's almost like yep. a Medicare Advantage plan, right? Uh, they got to give you this, but sometimes they give you a little more. Um, some of the books actually where there is a guideline at the the base or the root of the code, they'll have like a little eyeball. Go look at the guideline. There's something. That's a nice prompt. Yeah. 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 So that makes that a little bit um, easier. The online books are easier to travel. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. After yeah. lugging my books in the Dallas airport from terminal yeah. A to terminal E, I never plus wanted it, to do that again. Plus it adds 15 pounds to your bag. I know. <laughs> and then you can't wear those cute shoes. Anyway. <laughs> so the, the ebooks are great. Um, I was using the ebooks last night with a class that I was teaching and we were going over some exam questions. And I was able to take do process of elimination by opening the ebook and quickly typing in the search bar those codes that I wanted to review. So I, I did find that having a search bar was quicker than thumbing through the book. But I think that we've been doing this so long with the book that I know where to pull the tab. I know exactly where to go. So either way is, is good. Um, I noticed that some of the ebooks also will allow you to make notes, like yeah. a post note yeah. on your ebooks. So, yeah, um, yeah, my encoder, the, the encoder that I use does that. So, you know, like when I'm auditing, sometimes I'm like, they'll have a code that they, you know, that I'm looking at their 1500 and I'm like, mm, and I'll just put it in the encoder real quick because that's faster than digging through my book to turn oh, to it. Absolutely. You know, so that's how I like to use the electronic stuff when I'm like, they'll give me one. I'm like, oh, let me put that in real quick and, you know, kind of look to see if there's more specificity or more whatever in there kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it allows you to put notes and things like that in there. So that's kind of nice. I am. Um, I was at HealthCon week before last mm -hmm. and there were a lot of vendors there showing other encoders that, you know, we, I think we, we all know like the, the big popular encoders, but there were some other encoders and I'll tell you, Betty, for the, the price, it was mm -hmm. worth the look for sure. And I got a pair Ooh. of socks for watching the oh, demo, okay. but you know, um, who doesn't like coding socks? There you go. <laughs> but there are a lot of encoders out there. And I think that uh, even myself, when I'm preparing to purchase my encoder for next year, I might go and start looking at some of these alternative ones because uh, again, you gotta remember that it's gotta be specific to what you do specifically. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of encoders out there that are geared towards maybe inpatient coding or geared towards mm -hmm. Um, ACS coding, uh, ambulatory surgical centers. 
So I do a lot in the profi world or in the risk world and need something that really helps me be strong in those areas. So don't forget that all encoders are not created equal, um, yeah. but they are easier than traveling with paper books. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same thing with auditing software. Just I know we're getting off on a little tangent. That's okay, we'll come back kinda, to it. <laughs> you know, because I'm I've been looking at different auditing software for reporting purposes, you know, not to use mm -hmm. for the audit because mm -hmm. I, I really to be honest with you, I don't like using it for that, but I like the reports that they can spit yeah, out. Yeah. But you know, some some of the software like is just for EM, some of the right. software is more surgical. So you know, with that kind of stuff, it's it's all about searching different things and demoing and and trialing and all that to find what fits what you're doing uh for whatever specialties you have so right yeah yeah right and some of those audit tools like you just said they're more specialty specific and so there is some research that we need to do and yeah. and it doesn't need to be all the time but maybe put a tickle in system in place put a little note to yourself maybe in september october that says, um, you know, take take a couple of hours to go look up some encoders and some auditing tools just to make sure that you've got the most up to date that's working for you. Or um, who was it that I was talking to? I think I was talking to Terry. And there's mm -hmm. an auditing tool that we that's very popular that we use, and they actually have the ability to activate some AI components to it that I didn't know oh. about. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna do go back in and look and see if there was an add-on or an update to those products that maybe I didn't jump on. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Because I, I tell people it's kind of like um, when you get an EHR and EMR, you know, you want to do your research beforehand because once you're all in, it's hard to switch. You know, so you want to make sure that you've looked at everything you want and all that kind of stuff because it, it's, yeah, after you're used to it one way or it's coming out one way, your clients are getting it like mm -hmm. that, then to all of a sudden it looks different now, it brings a whole slew of oh questions gosh. that you don't need. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yes, yes. But we digress. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all about great conversation and great uh, discussion. And, and we always provide our listeners with such good information. So uh, I, I never mind that at all. <laughs> but I do anyway. want to talk a little bit about the the guidelines when it comes to those pressure ulcer stages. Yes. yes. And um, I was doing a presentation the other day about conditions that might regress healing. So things like diabetes, if you have someone with an uncontrolled diabetes and their glucose is through the roof, then that might reduce the healing process for a patient. Or if they're taking um, anti-rejection medications or steroid medications, you know, it could slow down that process or regress the process and then cause those wounds to become worse almost. Yeah. It's we, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to go off topic again, but it's almost like we have to take a medication or we have to have a treatment to treat the, the react, the, 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 the uh, side effects of another medication effects, or yeah. another condition or like, Oh my goodness. You end Sorry. up on five medications to counteract the other one, to counteract the other one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that happened to my husband. My husband went to the doctor and those words came out of the doctor's mouth. Oh, I'm going to need to start you on another medication to counteract the side effects of this medication. 
I thought he was going to hit the floor, Betty. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, Sonal Patel, Sonal and I were just talking the other day and, and, you know, we were talking about going to our physicians. I was like, I just hate going because it's like every time you go, you know, you oh, know it's, I thought you meant the retreat. Uh, after you hit 50, you know, it's like every, every time you go, there's always something else that they could, that, that pops up. Yep. Absolutely. So it's, it is, it's, it's medicine is a mysterious journey. Yeah. There we yes, go. Yes. Good one. That was that was metaphorical, right? <laughs> so when we start talking about these ulcers, remember that there's different stages of the ulcers there, right? Yes. And yes. what I really love was that they added that um, that verbiage in section B of the guidelines that allows coders. Mm -hmm. yes. We're not allowed to do a whole lot because we're just yes. coders, but it allows coders to review the medical record to see if somebody else, of course, somebody clinical has recorded those depths uh, or stages of the pressure ulcer or the depth of a non-pressure ulcer there. So while we have struggled for so long with providers that maybe didn't give us all that information, we know we can go and look at the wound care nurse or if they're in a facility and the facility's um, clinical staff has made that measurement or staged that pre non -pr that pressure ulcer, we can use that information in selecting the most specific code. And I think that's what the guideline is really trying to tell us is tell us what it looks like. Yes. Yes. Today. Yeah. I was real happy. And it is um, uh, the, where did it go? The documentation by clinicians other than the pro patient's provider, you know, when they list, and then they give you the list, which I like, cause yeah, you know, I print them out of the, yes. all the other things you can do. So like BMI, yeah. the depth of the ulcers, of course, the pressure ulcer stages, coma scales, the stroke scale, the SDOH, which is oh real good, gosh. the social determinants of health, um, laterality, blood alcohol level, and under immunization status. So they seem to be kind of, you know, broadening out here a little bit and, and giving us some, some leeway when we do have those areas where Sometimes our physicians aren't the best documenters. Um, you know, they, they're 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 thinking busy. about the patients. Right. They're concentrating on the patients. So I get it. So it's nice too that they they make the common sense decision in the book to say it's written there. You know, right. and it's written in the wound care nurses in in the ulcer kind of thing like we were right. talking. The wound care nurse put it down. If the physician is writing their note right after, it, it's there. You know, they referenced it, that, right? You know, so I, I'm very happy they're they're giving everybody a little bit of a break with that. And because you know, with physicians, you always want to pick your battles with the documentation, <laughs> because every time they see you coming, it's like, oh, what now? I know. <laughs> you know? So, so this, I like yes, I was very glad that they they gave us some some leeway in those areas. Th though, and, and listen, if you haven't, I say this every single time, if you haven't read the guidelines, there's no better time than the present because we as coders every year for the past, I think the past five years, every year they've, they've given us more guidance and AKA power, right. To, to, to specify those codes. Right. And if you haven't read the guidelines then you don't know what your new power is as a coder. Um, Lexi, can you post Dr. Rosenstock's comment there? 
the depth in lesion and diagnosis code assignment, along with extenuating factors, drive CPT assignments regarding any debridement, right? I think it is important that providers do get reimbursed when they have those extensive debridements that they've yeah. got to do. I mean, I, I have seen some really gnarly, I'm aging myself, gnarly wound pictures that needed a lot. Um, off topic, but off topic. So I've had horses my whole life and we had this one horse and it, it wasn't the smartest horse in the world, but one day that horse got caught up in, in some uh, fencing and there were some wounds on its legs. So I had to go every day and clean the wounds because it's a horse and they're out in the dirt and they're rolling around and, you know, they don't know anything about keeping things clean. Um, but I remember that we had to have the vet come out quite a few times to debreed those wounds because as they were getting dirty, they were getting some infected or some necrotic tissue that needed vascularization so that we could promote healing. And it took a long time. It was probably greater than six months of daily treatment to this, these wounds to get them to heal. So I wonder if social determinants of health aren't sometimes a usual component of these wounds, whether it be someone living in a nursing home or wheelchair bound or, or homeless or even know, living, living in their car, you know, I mean, how are they going to keep a wound clean? You right. know, those things really start to come into play. Um, and, and, you know, with the ICD-10 too, and as doctor was saying, you know, you want to make sure your medical necessity that you're doing the right stage that's going to match the depth of the debridement codes that you're right. using, you know, so it, it's really important to pay attention to those things. Or you wouldn't have like a, a stage one ulcer that would have that deep debridement to the bone. Like that right. wouldn't make any sense. And I say that sometimes, Betty, I tell um, my providers, listen, I, I get what you've said in the note, but what you said in the note translates to these codes. And from yep. a payer's perspective, a stage one just doesn't give them that picture of that deep, deep, you know, depth of, of debridement that you had to do. Right. Actually, so Dr. Rosendog, you are right on top of it today. Yep. My God, look at that. <laughs> Neuropathy, angiopathy, venous status, stasis. Those are critically associated codes to the actual lesion that must be applied. Like Sonal says, you have to paint the medical picture. And unfortunately, I think what providers don't understand is this is the process. The coder reviews the documentation. We're limited to what we can, you know, extrapolate from that note and actually code. You've got to give us that, those words. Um, and those codes are what goes over to a payer. If it doesn't smell right, it's going to get denied. Yeah. Each denial costs money, time. takes away from your bottom line, time and payment. Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot of um, trickle effects from that documentation. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, um, um, I, that's why I, I used my, my new phrase, my newer phrase that I've been using with my, my docs and, and APPs is um, if you think it, ink it. You know, so whatever that thought yes. process is, you know, you've got to get in in writing because we can't assume we can't, you know, uh, we can't say, oh, well, I know by looking at that, you know, it's got to be there for us to pull it out. So, you know, we're not, 
in the in this role you're not a clinician you're not allowed to you know extrapolate any information you know so they they have to lay it out for you for you to be able to code it for them or you're going to be querying them to death you know so either way you know it's it's you kind of get to be that nuisance role for them but so i always preface it with you know i'm trying to make sure that you know you get paid appropriately here so you know lead it in so it doesn't just uh you know look like we're we're nagging them all the time there's there's a method to our madness right right and and it's not just that we're nagging them because we want to make sure they get paid but God forbid, you know, Sean Wise says all the time, God forbid they take one of your progress notes and they blow it up into poster size in the middle of a courtroom and they yeah. say, what did you mean by this? Right. Um, again, I think we forget that the medical record, not only for payment purposes, but it is a legal document. Sure. Yeah. It's continuity of care. Um, I, I was talking to another client earlier today, and, and this is kind of a little sad, but there was a provider that uh, died in a plane crash not too long mm-hmm. ago, and they had to bring in other providers to, to take over the practice and start seeing those patients, unfortunately. And they were re- really relying on that documentation that was previously given by that provider that passed in order to continue the care. So I think providers need to remember that while they know these patients very intimately and they feel comfortable with the level of documentation, if God forbid something happened and somebody needs to come in behind you, will that documentation provide enough to continue the care? Yep, without having to go back and redo tests and redo things that because you don't know. So yes, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So another thing that they talk about are the sequencing when you go to the hospital, when you go to the hospital and you have a wound and it gets better or it gets worse, that that's, it just gives us the sequencing and the guidelines there, which code comes first. Um, And I, I, I don't know about you, Betty, but I get that question a lot from students or, or new coders that ask, how do you know which code came first? And, and I always say, you got to go back to the guidelines and yep. you got to go to the tabular section. Those are the yep. two most important, not, not the alpha. I don't mean to disrespect the alpha index. I mean, that gives us our default and that's nice. Right. But my final selection is a combination between the tabular and the guidelines. Yes. And yes. yeah, the, you look for, especially with the non-pressure ulcers, there's a lot of code first there. With the pressure ulcers, we have code first gangrene, you know, so that's, but with the non-pressure ulcers, um, they go back into uh, diabetes, the neuropathy, gangrene too, but, you know, there's all of those other ones that they throw in there. So that right there, you know, your code first or use additional, that tells you what your order is supposed to be. Code first is easy. It says go code this first. Right. I mean, that's a no brainer. That one goes. You know, so this one's second, you know, code additional. Uh, when I would explain it to new coders, I would just say what well, that's telling you that is in addition to me, this should be coded. Right. So I'm first. And then in addition to me, you go look and pull whatever code is from somewhere else. Uh, because I, I would get that. Well, what's the difference? Same as like excludes one and excludes two. You know how you, you get those, those are like, horrible why? titles. <laughs> I don't know why that those are the titles. 
like I think we could think of something so much easier than excludes one and excludes two. <laughs> of course, nobody yeah. asked me, but yep, yep. And I also tell coders, you know, think about that 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 nephew or niece that you have that's constantly asking you questions. Oh, you have a boo boo, but why? How did you get the boo boo? How bad is the boo boo? When will the boo boo heal? They ask the best questions yeah. and we shouldn't lose that, especially in coding, because they're telling us that there is this problem. Well, how did the problem start? How did the problem, what are we doing to make the problem better? When's it going to get better? Those should yeah. be the same things that we, we should go and, and tell the EMR companies they should start hiring like a third grader to come in, yeah. right? <laughs> consultant is here he'd like his snack <laughs> you have our chocolate milk and cookies <laughs> <laughs> sorry no disrespect to the emr companies and oh, no, no. Like, by no means I, I just mean that you know again that that's that story that we want to make sure is told and that all of yeah. those factors are answered in the story all of those questions that uh that revolve around especially the wounds yeah yeah. And with the ulcers, with the, I just want to make sure too. the, the one question that I always get from newer people and sometimes not newer people, cause right, they just don't right. use these codes a lot is that why is there an unstageable and an unspecified? They think it's the same thing, but it's not. Yeah. And so I have, I've had people before that use the unstageable because they heard unspecified, you know, was not the best codes to use. So they, I'm just like, this doesn't support that it's unstageable. They're not saying, you know, and then I get that, well, what's, you know, what's the difference? And well, unstageable is when they can't stage it because either it's uh, got Esker, you know, over it, or they put a graph on top of it, things like that to where it's not physically possible for them to stage it. So in the documentation, you need to see those kinds of, statements to be able to use the unstageable you know and if they don't say and just say it's an ulcer you know or pressure ulcer either way you know and you can't find any other documentation to be I'm able to support that. it you know mm -hmm. then that's when you have to go to unspecified you know but don't forget because of that change in you know the the b12 you know that we were talking about you can look in other places now so really using unspecified probably isn't going to happen a whole lot anymore unless you're talking about like an office setting where you know the the clinical nurse in the office isn't like the patient's coming back in for follow-up or right. something just they're, they're just have poorly done everything but in a hospital inpatient setting you're probably not going to have to use the unspecified codes so that's a good thing and i think that that i think we need to clarify the unspecified it, it's not that you shouldn't use unspecified if that's the no. only code that's there. And sometimes that is the only code. Yep. Yep. However, we have so many more codes. Unspecified in ICD-9 was a common thing. In oh, ICD-10, yeah. you know, with almost 80,000 ICD-10 CM codes, to be more specific, unspecified really it's almost saying it's generic yeah. in nature yeah. and, and we just don't know. And, and then I have to go back to my, my third grader. What, why don't you know if the patient's right in front of you, is it left? Is it right? Is it 
mild, moderate, severe? Can you, this is the things that help us gauge whether we're at goal or whether we need to change it up a little bit to try to get at goal, whether goal is, is cured, resolved, uh, stable, whatever that goal is, unspecified is never enough to tell us that they're at goal. So again, there are few unspecified codes and that's the max that we can get to, but with 80,000 codes. Mm -hmm. Or I tell people, you know, at at first, at your first couple visits, if the physician's doing tests and doing, maybe they don't know. Well, when you don't know, you shouldn't overcode it. Right. So then unspecifies are valid and they're good. That's all you have. Why are you doing tests if you already know? Right. I mean, then it doesn't make sense to be more specific. Again, I I, they come back. Yeah. You know, then we should be getting better. Um, Jennifer McNamara and I did a presentation recently at, at, we did at HealthCon. It was an apropos thing. They were like, Hey, speaker can't come. Can you guys jump in? Sure. We got this. Um, And it, and it was, we did talk about showing that claim form because if you have this unspecified diagnosis, it's almost like saying, um, it's not better. It's not worse. It's just, it's, it's stable. It's, it's, benign it's mild right unspecified doesn't have any there's no emotion behind it i don't know how to explain it any better um and but then you're showing the payer that you're doing a 99214 or 99215 evaluation and management what required that that severity of evaluation and management if the condition is unspecified vanilla unflavored right there's no complexity to it right no complexity to it at all and, and so it makes sense why we would see a, an audit in that area. Why are you having such high patient visits when you've got unspecified uh, pressure ulcer, but you spend it, you do this 99215 and an extensive debridement with an unspecified, yeah. uh, unspecified, unspecified ulcer. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. The laterality ones, those kill me. I'm like, there's just no excuse for that. I did, please. You know, I, I, we all know left from right. I would hope, especially if you're a physician or a practitioner, it's like, I think that's something you should have down by then, you know, uh, so the laterality ones, and they still hold that pattern in the pressure ulcer with the one, two, mm-hmm. except it's not on the end. It's on the next to the last character. Yeah. So you'll have the, um, that sixth um, character gives us that laterality there. Right. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's backed up one, but it does still have the pattern of right, left, right, left, but then yeah. it also adds the, um, whatever the body part is, you know, so you need your sight, you need your laterality, you need your depth or your stage because in non pressures, they don't call them stages, but if you read it, it's basically the same thing as the stage, you know, because right. they're like the red exactly. and then it's like partial thickness and full thickness and down to the bone. But they yeah. do add those two extra ones in the non-pressure ulcers for the with and without necrosis down to the bone and into the sub Q. So they do have a few extra codes and the non-pressure ulcer side than they do in the pressure ulcer side. So that's, you know, another thing to kind of keep in mind, like, first of all, what kind of ulcer are we talking about here? Right. You know, to to start you off, to send you to the right right category. That pressure ulcer is a breakdown of of tissue. 
and the wound could be anything. It could have come from uh, 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 an injury. It could have come from, you know, so many other areas. And the whole wound might be treated differently because yes. of how it originated, rather a breakdown of tissue or an, an, a wound, an injury type of wound there. So very, very interesting. Um, I think those of us that love diagnosis coding, when we see these, we can actually feel the the severity or the complexity of these conditions. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Betty, yeah. we have run out of time. Can you believe it? Oh it's my so gosh. fun talking with you. I have so much fun talking with you too. And I'm so excited. I'm going to see you next weekend out in San Diego. Yes, we are yes, headed so. to the retreat. Those of you that are interested in attending the retreat with us and Sonal Patel, um, and we have such an amazing panel of people that are going to be joining us for some education. We're going to be fellowshipping together. We're going to have dinner together. Um, it's going to be an amazing event. There's still space available to join us. Um, you can find the information on LinkedIn, either under Betty or under myself or Sonal, or, you know, there's different ways that you can find. It is Coding by the Sea. Um, it is a retreat by Advanced Coding. So please, if you're interested in joining us, there's still space available. Uh, Lady Martinez will be there with us. Hello, lady. Yeah, um, oh, and it's Beth's birthday today. So happy birthday, Beth. Happy birthday, Amazing. Beth. Yes. We'll have to so, celebrate that then. We will with a little bit of Sharon's moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friends. Thank you so much. Betty's information is scrolling at the bottom there. If you need any uh, information on DERM, on consulting, on compliance, please reach out to Betty. She is absolutely amazing. She has an answer for everything. I promise you. Huh. Have They're a wonderful day. We will see you again in two weeks. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for watching.